Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. Hola, soy Steve Bremner. Soy hospedor de Fire on Your Head. Y usted está escuchando... Engaging Missions Show con Brian Ensminger. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show with Brian Ensminger. We are bringing missions home. Each week, we hear from missionaries, ministry leaders, disciple makers, and church planters as they share about God's work in their lives and ministries. Like us, they are ordinary people who serve an extraordinary God. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Thanks for joining us. This week, we're going to talk about the size of Russia and the ministry opportunity there. We're also going to talk about the changing spiritual temperature in Russia, and we're going to look into trusting God when balancing family and ministry, even to the point of sending out teams without staff leadership. Scott McClelland is going to join us for a couple of minutes for the Foundational Missions Leadership Moment, which is also available as its own podcast if you visit engagingmissions.com slash leadership moment. And finally, our guest is going to suggest a book toward the end, and that book is available for free if you visit engagingmissions.com slash free book. I have something set up with audible.com where if you try out their service, you can get one book downloaded for free, and this could be the book. You could also choose the Bible, which is what I did years ago when I tried out Audible. And when you do, that'll also help me get a little bit of money to help resource the show. With that, we're going to get right into this week's episode. All right, let's get started. Our guest today is Don Biggie. He's been married to his wife for about 38 years, and he's been a Christ follower for about 30 of those. He has a heart for the Buryat people of Buryatia in Siberia, which if you're looking at a map right now, that's that big part of Russia. He's also the strategy director for E3 Partners Ministry in Russia. So Don, welcome to the show. Good morning, Brian. It's good to be with you, sir. Yeah, you know, Recording this early in the morning, I'm just so excited that you were able to make this happen. For those who are listening, we're recording at about 5.30 in the morning. So Don has taken some special time to do this. And and Don, I'm just wondering, you know, I grew up in the 80s in North Dakota, and we always thought about Russia and Siberia as being this horribly cold place. Can you share with us a little bit about what Siberia is like? Yeah, well, first of all, Brian... Russia is about one-fifth of the world's landmass, 11 time zones, so it's a very big place. And Siberia is the two-thirds of the Russian Federation that is east of the Ural Mountains. And it's full of natural resources, beauty, lots of timber, lots of lakes and mountains, you know, mostly um, just untouched, even unexplored. And... um I would say if you're from the Dakotas, 
what you're used to there is pretty much the same in the southern part of Siberia. Okay. It's, yeah, it's pretty much like southern Canada. So, you know, um, four seasons, they're all pretty extreme. Mm. Uh, yeah, but a beautiful place. Okay, and I know that we were talking before the call, but are are you based in Russia right now? How is that working? I am actually based in Wisconsin, uh, the way all of our staff at E3 Partners are. I'm back and forth several times a year. Okay. Now, I've given, I mean, we've talked a little bit, but I've given like 30 years of history in 30 seconds as we did this introduction. Would you mind sharing with us a little bit more about your family and the ministry? Uh, I'd be happy to do that. As you mentioned, Jackie and I have been married for 38 years, came into our marriage um, not as believers. Uh, Christ came into my life, and then Jackie's a month apart uh, in 1985, and we both became uh, Christians at that point. And um, I thank God that he held together our marriage during those seven years of not knowing him. I was a businessman at the time. Our children, uh, Joshua, who was 34, he's married to Tanya. Becky, who's married to Andrew. Um, had, and they gave us a little girl named Penelope, a granddaughter. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so uh, I entered ministry shortly after I became a believer at age 30. And um, it began with some seminary studies, led to a couple of North American church plants. But personally, the way God wired me, my gifts are, are more apostolic, uh, better utilized in places that are unreached among unreached peoples. And that's what led me to E3 Partners. Okay. So now as I think about, uh, you, know, you shared that after a few years of marriage, you came to Christ. I have a sense that there might be a little bit of a story there. Are you, are you able to share with us how you came to Christ? Oh, I would love to do that. Always a privilege. I've never heard the gospel um, even growing up here in Wisconsin, I had never heard the message of the kingdom. And um, I remember uh, as a businessman, uh, after going to the University of Wisconsin, uh, climbing a corporate ladder and doing really well in the industry that I was a part of, privileged to be part of, <clears throat> um, part of that whole corporate world, you know, sometimes leads to potentially dangerous situations, you know, when you're in a an industry where there's a lot of partying and alcohol and that kind of thing, sometimes those beasts can bite you. Mm-hmm. And with me, it was, uh, I was in an environment with lots of alcohol and it, it got me. And so at age 30, I find myself struggling with a an addiction I couldn't stop, I couldn't quit. Uh, and a little four-year-old boy who wanted to be just like his dad, because, of course, dads are the smartest and <laughs> <laughs> the best and the wisest, right? So you have a four-year-old who literally wants to imitate your every move. And it might seem like a small thing, but it was huge for me as I began to just uh, feel broken and, and begin to cry out. Uh, one day, one of my colleagues walked into my office, shut the door, smiled at me and said, God sent me in here to tell you about Jesus, God. And, uh, you know, it's interesting how ready I was. Wow. Uh, yeah, young young engineer from our company um, shared the gospel with me. Later that week, one of the reps that worked for me, I was a sales manager, shared the gospel with me. So twice in one week after 30 years of never being exposed to the gospel, 
And so I recognized from the scripture that these loving guys had shared with me, uh, added to the powerful testimonies in each of their lives, that Christ came to bear the weight, the penalty, the power of sin. And he did that successfully and completely said it was finished from the cross. And so they, they taught me how to receive from God, how to ask the Lord by his grace through faith that all that Jesus did on the cross would be applied to my life. And so three o'clock in the morning, I'm mm. up uh, asking for the Lord's forgiveness as he helps me to turn to him and repent back to him and receive the gift of eternal life back in 1985. And my first request was, Lord, I don't know much about you, but this burden of alcoholism is not good for my marriage, not good for my family. And I know that it doesn't happen this way with every man. But in that moment, the Lord not only forgave my sins, but he removed that addiction um, just for the asking. And uh, so I'm, I'm very grateful. Uh, I'm one of these guys who was deep, deep in muck and mire, deep in, in uh, sin and lostness, and Christ came to where I was lost. I didn't know he could reach that far in the mud. But he did for me. And so I've been a Christian now uh, 30 years and very grateful for God's faithfulness. Well, you know, as you're sharing that, I'm sitting over here and I'm thinking, oh, God, where should we focus? Because there's so much, right? There's the reality of the situation where you were raised in, in Wisconsin, not exactly not as exactly thought of as the most progressive state in terms of, you know, putting the gospel behind us and ignoring the things of faith and stuff like that. Um, but also the depth of God's uh, ability to work in your life. I- I'm just, I'm just astounded. I don't, honestly, as an interviewer, I'm not quite sure where to go from here because normally I'd be going, oh, well, we'll go this direction. But as you think about, yeah, I think we'll go this way. As you think about growing up in Wisconsin, you spent you know, the bulk of your life, probably 25, 30 some odd years, not knowing about Christ. What's changed since then? What's changed? Um, Oh, everything. Uh, I did not become an improved man. Um, I got a do-over and I became a new man. Uh, The Lord did not try to take the broken down raw material of who I was and improve it, but rather gave me a new heart, a new identity, uh, a fresh new life. The, the idea of being born again, being born a second time, uh, is so true. It's, it's a radical thing. When, when a man goes from lost to saved, he goes from an old man to a new man. And so from that standpoint, I would say that increasingly over these years, the Lord has been faithful to give me his mind, I have the mind of Christ. And so... Uh, although I struggle with the same issues every man does, uh, everybody, every person all the time struggles mm-hmm. with things, and we increasingly wish those things would just stop. Temptation, you know, lust of the eyes, lust of, you know, everything, the flesh, the pride of life, all those things get in the way, but a, a brand new life, everything's changed. Nothing's the same, and it's because of him, because of him and, and his amazing presence in my life. Uh, I have a lot to be grateful for, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's really powerful as you share that because I feel like sometimes, even in my own life, it's really easy to think, oh, God saved me from being a little bit messed up, right? And he made me a little bit less messed up. But the reality of the situation is I was a dead man and God made me alive. Exactly right. That's right. 
as you think about the the life and the ministry, you know, it's it's not always puppies and kittens and rainbows, and there are some challenges that come into our lives. Would you mind sharing with us maybe a time when you faced a significant challenge and then how God used that and how God moved in that time in your life? There are many. There's a lot of spiritual warfare and missions wherever you work, but I can remember being in the car with my bags packed and on the way to uh, our airport in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, my wife uh, was sitting next to me. Uh, the goodbyes never get any easier, you know, over time, but we were on the way and, and Jackie had had some symptoms that were sort of scary and she was waiting for some sort of um, update from the doctor she'd been seeing. So keep in mind now, I've got 20 people at the airport waiting for me. I've got a pocket full of money for our trip. And the doctor calls, and I could see the color drain from Jackie's face when she got the news that she had cancer. Mm. And that was nine years ago. And so, you know, we had to somehow, through all that, the Lord picks you up. And he just kind of carries you through what comes next because you become somewhat dysfunctional in a moment when that kind of news is given. That said, we went to the airport and I believe God's spirit just said to me, Don, you train this team. The nationals are ready for them on the other end. Give your most uh, responsible man of character the money, pray for him and send them off. You're not going. And so I literally sent a team of 20 overseas uh, put them in into the hand. They were already in the hands of the Lord. My goodness, we all are. Yeah. Um, and I went home with my wife, and uh, Jackie went through some surgery. The surgery indicated fourth stage endometrial cancer and a diagnosis of six months to live. Um, that again was was nine years ago when we received that. <laughs> so I was with her all year. I set my teams out without a leader from the standpoint of E three staff. And I went through chemotherapy and radiation with Jackie uh, from this, again, just being with her. It was my place to be with Jackie, my wife. I'm called to love her the way Christ loved the church. And so I, I didn't want to see her hooked up to chemo drugs and going through radiation alone. And, um, you know, she went through that stuff. And a, a year later, I don't have any hair on my head, and she didn't either. <laughs> right when all that stuff ended... I took her on a cruise to celebrate our 30th wedding anniversary at the time. And over time, what did I learn? We have a trail outside of the community I live in. It's an old railroad track that goes about 35 miles, turned into a nature trail. And I, I learned what it meant to meet with the Lord in the wilderness. Hours and hours every day, walking and pleading with him. And I would go at times when I figured nobody else would be out there because I knew I'd be very animated during that time with the Lord. Um, so I learned how to walk with the Lord in long prayer walks. And I pressed into the Lord, discovered how great, how grand, how glorious, how incredibly compassionate that he is during those times. Um, Jackie and I saw a lot of people not survive the processes that they had to go through with cancer. But the Lord healed my wife. She's alive and cancer-free. Nine years later, um, she did not die the way the doctors thought that she would. Um, the folks at the hospital who see her every year call her, them, they call her, excuse me, their miracle girl. 
and always look forward to her visit because I can't find anything. And But those days for both Jackie and me gave us a fierce love for each other, an appreciation for each other. Rather than taking one another for granted, um, it, it enhanced the, the rich quality of our relationship with each other and certainly with the Lord as we got to know him better through that trial. And uh, so when I leave now, uh, it's always hard. You'd think after 60-some trips to Russia, it'd get easier. It doesn't. Um, and, and I'm not complaining. It's just that God has granted us a great marriage. You know? Yeah, you know, I'm so glad that you shared that. I, I'm not glad that you had to go through it. I, you know, it's great that God did these things in your lives. But the one thing that stuck out to me is, you know, a lot of times it seems like for people who are called to vocational ministry that there's an expectation that your family goes on the back burner so that you can do, in quotes, the the ministry, right? And what I hear in you and what God did in your life is, that was your ministry for that time. You had all this other stuff you still did, but that was your focus. Is that accurate? Um, 100% accurate. It, it was not, you know how the Lord grants us the, the, the fullness of his spirit to step into each situation that comes our way. And it might not be easy for listeners to understand this if they haven't been through something like it. But there's a, there's a certain grace, you know, that God gives for the situation that we find ourselves in. And it's a hard thing to understand or explain unless you're, you go through it. Uh, but I, I would say yes to your question. Um, very much so. This was a season for Jackie and me to walk through together. No question. And, you know, in the, in the, in the end, the teams that I sent out, there were a lot of people on those teams that discovered that God can use them apart from human leadership. And and so the process of discovery for them, discovering themselves, actually resulted in the Lord adding to our staff as God showed them those lessons as well. Wow, that that's powerful too. With that, we are going to need to go, go ahead and take a quick break. Uh, and then when we come back, we're going to shift our focus a little bit more toward the ministry. Take your leadership to the next level. It's time for the Foundational Missions Leadership Moment with Scott McClelland of FX Missions. Hi, it's Scott McClelland with your Leadership Moment. Over the next several sessions, we're going to be focusing on a verse out of Matthew 23.10, where Jesus said, Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. Last time we talked a little bit about this, we are trying to get our minds wrapped around the way we view things culturally when it comes to leadership, and at the same time incorporate the words of Jesus here that are a direct admonition for us not to be called leaders or to be seen as leaders in term in some way. What's he what's he trying to say? Is he serious? How do we incorporate this? This is something that I think is important to us and we should not feel a compulsion to wrap our arms around the subject of leadership in a way that excludes what Jesus is saying. We need to get it, and we need to bring it on board. What is he saying? When I think about the concept of leadership, I've read many, many books on the subject. I've studied it for some years, um, more or less persistently, and there are many sort of authoritative voices on the subject of leadership. And there are many people who are trying to be known 
as authoritative voices on the subject of leadership. I think this is uh, may get down to the crux of what we're looking at. What is Jesus saying? Is he, he obviously is cautioning us over a trap that has been laid for us, a trap where we consider ourselves and want other people to consider us as let's say leadership experts is that the way we should identify uh, and is that the way we want others to regard us i think we're getting close here to the place where the trap is who's doing the leading that's the question is uh, is leadership when it comes to us as believers just high level followership been a lot of talk on the subject of servant leadership in the past decades there's uh there's a lot of uh, a lot of people who are trying to speak to that and how does that fold in here servant leadership is it what Jesus was referring to is he saying that we should be called servants instead of leaders and do we treat this this admonition as a law is he saying avoid the subject of leadership completely i don't think so more food for thought here as we're making our way through this verse stay with us as we continue to unfold this and examine it from a variety of angles i'm scott mcclellan with your leadership moment thanks for joining us contact me or us at fxmissions.com have a good one This Leadership Moment was produced in partnership with Engaging Missions. Have your leadership question answered by contacting Scott at scott at fxmissions.com. Visit FX Missions to learn more about how you can grow your leadership and engage in missions. Visit engagingmissions.com for encouragement, insight, and resources from missionaries, ministry leaders, and church planters. Before we get back into the interview, I just want to mention that the Foundational Missions Leadership Moment is now available as a standalone podcast. If you're interested in subscribing to that, visit engagingmissions.com slash leadership moment. That'll take you right to where you can subscribe to the Foundational Missions Leadership Moment podcast. And with that, we're going to get right back into the interview. All right. We are back with Don Biggie. He just shared some amazing stuff about his relationship with his wife and how God moved in that and how God called him in, into a relationship with him. Now we're shifting our focus a little bit toward ministry. And Don, we, we know that Russia is huge. Now, are we talking about Russia proper or the former Soviet Union? Um, Russia today, Russia's borders today. Okay. And, and, you know, one of my experiences is that I, we tend to think of places like Africa as a singular place, but it really it's, it's a huge place with a wide variety of cultures and things like that. Is it similar with Russia? Yes, but I would say that it's probably somewhat lopsided in the sense that there are 93 people groups, 93 people groups. For a country that size, you think there would be more. Wow. And, and of that 93, 111 million are in one of those people groups. And then the rest are distributed among the remaining population of just under 30 million. So this is the Russian Federation, and Buryatia that you mentioned before is part of it. 
Okay, and and which of those is the is the larger people group? Slavic Russian people. Okay, yeah. So now Russia, my expectation because of years of hearing about communism and the atheism that went with that is that Russia would be largely unchurched and unreached. Is that is that accurate? Uh, I would say so, and it kind of depends on the source of information that you turn to to understand the reality about that. But but. You know, the sources that I turn to would characterize them as largely a non-religious people. Okay. Uh-huh. And are you finding that, does it seem like things are becoming more religious or more turned toward Christianity? Is it becoming hotter or colder? I would, I would answer that question by saying hotter in, in a very, very uh, good way, uh, slowly. Mm-hmm. From, from our standpoint, I mean, Ryan, plainly, you know, it's such a huge, diverse country, so different than our own in so many ways that it's hard for, for we, you know, mere humans to be able to, to get much beyond the scope of the people that God is bringing into our lives over there that have a heart for Him. But as God does that, we're very encouraged by what we're seeing. Okay, and and you mentioned that you're encouraged by what you're seeing. Can you share a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, in some in some parts of the country, generally speaking, uh, we can be in a region. There are 82 regions, depending upon the changes that the Russian government makes right now. There are 82 geographical regions. We can go into a region and ask God to bring us to the, you know, traditionally um, dominant spiritual leaders in that region and they've been following traditions oh christian traditions i i would say 150 200 years maybe okay and sometimes it's sometimes it's tradition you know that has hold of these men uh, other times on the other hand we see somebody who is filled with hope and joy and expectation anticipation of what god is going to do and you see jesus christ alive overflowingly alive in that person's life. We ask God to bring us to these these folks, uh, to these people. And that's what he's been beginning to reveal more. He's leading us to people we've been asking him to bring us to. It might be very difficult otherwise to find them. Okay. You know, as you were talking about that, I was remembering, you know, because I grew up in the age of propaganda, not like anybody else did, I sometimes think of, again, Russia or the, the Soviet Union as being atheist, but there was a presence of the Orthodox Church. Are those the kinds of people you're co- connecting with when you talk about spiritual leaders? You know, I, I'm talking about uh, people who somehow all alone in remote areas have been in the Word, and, and the Lord Jesus has taken the initiative himself to reveal himself to them. Oh. And, yeah, and, and most of the time, Russian Orthodoxy, which looks to be prevalent in that, that country when you look around and see their cathedrals. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about, you know, very personal revelation of the Lord Jesus to people who otherwise would not have been able to hear the gospel ever from anybody. And so I'm, I'm talking about an initiative that the Holy Spirit is taking in the lives of people and, and all they have in, in a remote village or in, even in the middle of a city is, is their Bible and the Lord Jesus knocking on their hearts. 
Um, many times these are people who have very little exposure to the Christianity of Orthodoxy or the rich appearance of Christianity in Russia. And so a lot of times they're young people who we hire to be interpreters for us. They're hmm. at the university and they're studying English and German and, and, you know, the Lord brings these young people to us and they're right on the brink already of wanting to respond to the gospel. They just need a little bit of help to take those last steps. And, uh, it, it's, how do you explain the spiritual appetite for the things of Jesus? You know, it's, it's initiated by the Lord. He makes that first move into their lives. And those are the people we've asked, uh, the Lord brings to. Many of them have no background at all in Christianity, no influence from Christianity whatsoever. Well, that, that's good. So as you think about that, when you find somebody like that, where do you start when you're building relationship and then, you know, training them about Christ and to be ministers? To me, Brian, that's, mm-hmm. that's the heart of our ministry right there. Uh, it's, it's interesting to me uh, how when you meet someone who has that type of hunger or thirst, and you can see that it was given by the Lord, that, that we don't begin with, the, you know, discipleship lessons. Fill, let's, let's read lesson one and fill in these blanks. That's so academic feeling to the people we encounter that the first thing they do is kind of reel backwards and say, oh, boy, that looks too much like school. Hmm. You know, my heart is is breaking. My heart is opening up. I'm curious. I need to talk. I, I need you to talk to me. And so we, we back up a few steps and we start with their view of God or their concept of who God is. And what I mean by that is we'll go to places like Isaiah 40 and forward or Psalm 139, uh, passages that talk about the incomparable God, what makes him so unique, so supreme and majestic, and just spend time letting them be exposed to who God is. You know, because their initial entry into all this, so far, their lives have, have been inward. Their focus has been on themselves and on the people around them. Um, and so it's, it's hard. It's not natural to step away from self and gaze upon the Lord. Behold him. Look at his attributes. Look at his names. What, what is it that makes him unique? Why is there no one like him? And give them a chance to, to slow down and just look at him and just wait until they're overwhelmed with a sense of the greatness of God. That's where we begin. Uh, it wasn't always that way. We used to start with, oh boy, we've got to teach this person how to share their testimony. Mm-hmm. Teach them three ways to share the gospel. Got to get them out there on the streets. That's true, but if you begin there, it will not last. We've discovered it will not last. That's just, those are just actions. Those actions need to be fruit of intimacy of a relationship with God. So we take our time and go slowly, uh, with these individuals. And it's, while we'd love to have a room full of people to talk this through with, it ordinarily starts with one, two, three people. Well, that's that's so interesting because a lot of times what I hear is the very first thing a person would do is you share with them a way to share their testimony, and then you say, okay, who are you going to share with this week? And you start immediately with that, and you're starting with something different. I I really appreciate that because it means that you're actually listening to God as he's working you through this. If I thought about myself and you were encountering me for the first time and you were going to share with me a little bit about God, what would you share with me? 
I would, I would, um, I would open up to the scripture. Let me go back to Isaiah 40 for a minute. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a verse there, Brian, in, in Isaiah 40 that people are very familiar with. Uh, we see it on coffee mugs, calendars, journals, <laughs> posters. It's everywhere. And, and understandably, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. That's verse 31 of chapter 40. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's an incredible passage that is probably the most familiar verse in that scripture. Even non-believers have heard that and love that passage. Because I think, however, the fact that it's familiar tells us something. Mm-hmm. It, it tells us that our first inclinations are to look for ourselves and how we can benefit uh, from the promises of God. And that's that's natural, and the theme of our comfort and God's desire to take care of us and walk with us is, simp- is certainly true. But what I would do is I'd take you back to four portraits of God inside chapter 40 that a lot of us just kind of walk right by. In other words, it's human nature for us to kind of gloss over the things about God that he reveals to us, that he wants us to marvel at and glorify him for and worship him for. And and I think that's the thing that we need to help an individual with. Uh, why would a brand new Christian uh, go out and share the gospel after they learn how to do their testimony for the glory of God, other than rather than the religious region, reason? Excuse me, reason of of just okay. Now that I'm a, a Christian, I need to start doing the right thing. Uh, that'll come, but it's better if our testimony comes out as a fruit of our concept of God being right, as opposed to us just doing the right thing. Someone taught me that it's the right thing to do. And so there there are some portraits of the Lord that I would slowly go through with you. Hmm. Portraits that have to do with God's supremacy over his creation, over the nations, over the nation's leaders, and over all the idols in our lives, all the things that we make to be priorities in our lives that come before God. He says, I'm incomparable to those things. I'm greater than those things. Look at me. Look at me. I want you to see who I am compared to all these other things that fascinate you. That you discover, you and I would take our time and go slowly. Maybe it's six months. And one day you'd sit down and you'd be breathless because God would have been working to, to increase the awe of him that you have. And, and then I would say, okay, now, now we're, we're seeing the God of the Bible in relation to his creatures made in his image. Now, perhaps the fruit of reproduction and multiplication inwardly and outwardly can begin in a healthy way that will last a lifetime. And, uh, these are things that took, have taken time. I've had to work it through with my mentors, the people who poured into me, especially the last 15 years. Mm. Yeah. So that's what I would do with you, sir. Well, that that's huge. You know, just the the thing that you mentioned about us always or seemingly always looking to God for ourselves. I mean, that that alone is worth the price of admission, I would have to say. As you think about your your ministry and what you're doing, obviously there are challenges, there are difficulties that come with this. And so there has to be something that fuels your passion to continue. What is that? What fuels my compassion to continue is seeing 
seeing a deep love for God develop in, in someone that overflows into the fruit of not being able to keep it to themselves. They can't keep it to themselves. Hmm. They, they ooze gratitude uh, because God has done this work deep within. And that, that gratitude gives way then to a very bold witness as a light for Christ that is fueled by a greater concept of him and a deeper love for him. As we teach people how to, how to meet with God, how to spend time with him. And so when, when you see uh, a spiritual son or a spiritual daughter begin to reproduce and glorify God by being disciples who make disciples, it, it is, it is, uh, <laughs> I don't want to use the word addictive because for me, addiction was a bad thing. Right. But I will I will say that it fuels wanting to see more of God's glory through this whole process that he lays out in Scripture that says glorifies him and magnifies his glory. And, and so um, it's like having offspring, spiritual offspring, a reproduction multiplication. It's, it's a phenomenal thing to see, and God gives us and grants us an appetite for that. And he loves it. He just loves it. And the incredible thing is that he uses us to bring it about. Boy, isn't that the truth? Mm-hmm. Well, with that, we are going to need to take one more quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to shift our focus one last time more toward the, the listeners. Here's a taste of what's coming up on the Engaging Mission Show. One of the things I'm really excited about as a church is that, you know, we have more people in our outreaches than we do on our Sunday morning church service. And so... Um, I feel like that's a, a really healthy uh, balance, and so I'm just so uh, excited that our church is so missional, and people are, are, are engaging missionally. If you enjoyed that, you won't want to miss a single episode of the Engaging Mission Show. Subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher to have it delivered automatically. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. That's engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. All right, we're back with Don Biggie. And, you know, as we were talking during the break, we just realized that we've spent a lot of time talking about ministry and those kind of things. And we haven't even talked about the people that God feels or that Don feels called to minister to. So, Don, can you share with us a little bit about the Buryat people? I will tell you, Brian, that um, there was a, a, a Buryat man from Southern California who walked into our San Diego, California office and asked for help to reach his people. And our people in our offices around the country, E3 works in 40 countries, uh, said, is there, is there a Russian guy or the Russian guy around here? No, he's in Wisconsin. So they called me, and I went out to see this this man named Aldar, who was just very passionate about reaching the 400,000 Buryat people in Buryatia, which is a, a region or republic of the Russian Federation, southern Siberia. There are Mongolian people, tribal people who came across the border 800 years ago with none other than Genghis Khan. Hmm. And so here's 400,000 Buryat people. They're, they're Asian people, shamanistic Buddhist people, who have no concept at all of who God is, and, and they are unreached without an indigenous church for themselves. Hmm. So that's why we're there. Seems like a good place to be for missionaries. 
Yeah. You know, one of the things I've heard about people from a Buddhist background is it's really hard to share the gospel with them because they... Uh, the concept of a personal or a, a God with a personality is really difficult for them to comprehend. It actually goes against their concept of, of how things work. Have you found that to be the case? It, it's, it's, it looks like a pacifistic, uh, serene approach to finding peace. But it's, it, it goes the opposite direction of finding peace from the Prince of Peace. So, you know, you, you can become your own god in Buddhism. And so, and, and shamanism predates Buddhism by a couple of thousand years in that region. So, there's no, there's no idea of a creator god mm. uh, at all. And so, that's where we have to start. That's why this concept of god thing is so near and dear to my heart. Um, is that we, you know, when we share with them, we have to kind of know how to to do a creation to Christ story in about 15 to 20 minutes, hitting the mountain peaks of who God is and what he did uh, that necessitated a Messiah, because they don't know what sin is, and if you don't know that there's a God, who is there to sin against? Nobody. So that's why we have to start way, way back there. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I know that a lot of the people who listen to the show care deeply about missions or about ministry, but they're actually called into the marketplace. What would you share with someone who is in the marketplace and they're starting to wonder if what they do really matters for the kingdom? I would take them to scripture that talks about why God does everything that he does. Uh, This really is a tough one for folks because having been a businessman for 15 years, uh, God does not necessarily call everybody to some sort of, quote, vocational ministry role. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need men and women in the marketplace. That's that's the normal, everyday environment in which disciples are made. And, and that's the calling of the vast majority uh, of people. So I begin by talking to them about God's motivation for creating us, that, that we are all called, regardless of how we put bread on the table for our families, we're all called to glorify him through everything we put our hand to and every word that comes out of our mouths. And so I go to those scriptures and tell them, you know, you're likely right where you belong. You fit right where you are. And God wants to use that environment for you to reach the people in your circle of influence. You're right where you need to be. So how can, how can you, in that environment, in those circumstances, uh, reach into your oikos, that Greek word that has to do with our circle of influence. And so I, I go there to affirm them who they are and where, where they are is exactly where, precisely where God wants them, 95% of the time. Don, living here in Nashville, obviously, as you know, there are a lot of people coming from all over the world. What would you share with me if I, if I came in contact with somebody from Buryat and I didn't know what to do? I would say it would be a really good idea to get a profile or, or work on or develop a profile of, of Buryat people living in your area. There, there ought to be census information on that people group. They are a people group. And if they're first or even second generation Buryats who are living in a city, they, they can be reached in the same way that we would go about it in Buryatia, seen as a people. Um, a people group, as opposed to just people living in Nashville. Mm. Um, if, if 
they're first or second generation, they're still hanging on to things that give them comfort and kind of a national identity. Uh, they have a Buryat tongue, although Buryat speak Russian, they also have a Buryat tongue. Uh, they have traditions and a history uh, that's very rich that they, they hang on to. It's very important to them as a people. God does not want them to throw those things away. And so if, if I encountered a Buryat and the, the Lord laid that people on my heart, I do a little demographic research and then begin to evangelistically pray for them. Uh, there are many, many different scriptures, particularly in the New Testament, from Paul, where we learn that uh, every movement of church planting, every movement of disciple-making is preceded by a movement of prayer. It's a documented fact globally that prayer always precedes harvest. And that's that's the, uh, the field. Um, right now, the state of the condition of the field. So I would begin evangelistically praying uh, for them. The only way that a people are going to be converted is if the Holy Spirit does everything. And our role early on is evangelistic prayer. So do that research, get the numbers, and then begin to ask God to give you encounters with this people group that God has laid on your heart. And, and go again, go slowly, just just develop friendship. Um, when when they see that you value and treasure them as a friend, uh, that begins to open up the heart, the conversation like, you know, Brian, there's just something very different about you. I see something that, that gives you joy and purpose in your life. Would you tell me more about it? We wait for God to um, bring those questions out of people. The man who invited me to Buryatia told me to wait five years before we got real, quote, aggressive in sharing the gospel. The relationship is everybody. That's mm-hmm. everything, excuse me, with the Buryat people. Um, so easy does it. Give, give God the situation. Um, learn all you can about the Buryat people, what characterizes them, the way they think, what their background is. They, they do not come from the same background as most of us. In North America, and but, but friendship and relationship is everything for them. The latest everybody. Wow, that's that's good. Is there maybe an internet resource or a book or something you'd like to recommend for our listeners? You know, as far as um, how they can begin to cultivate two things. First of all, an ever expanding concept of God. I would suggest uh, a resource called Behold your God. Behold your God. Um, it's, it's an amazing resource that takes you slowly through uh, about a dozen weeks um, that, that causes you to set the busyness, you know, of typical kinds of study and application and just learn how to view the Lord. Um, A.W. Tobeser said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I really do believe that. So I would recommend behold your God so that we can rethink God in a biblical way. Um, secondly, if people are not having a, a personal quiet time, if they're not meeting with the Lord, that's, that's not uncommon for busy North Americans. I would recommend a, a little resource called My Heart, Christ's Home by Robert Boyd Munger. It's a small little booklet, takes 20 minutes to read, 
And that little booklet will help our listeners today see what it means to the Lord for us to cultivate a deeper love relationship with him. Lukewarmness is a big problem in the church today. This little booklet talks about how God feels about meeting with you, how he feels, why it's good for him to talk with you each day. And um, I found that that little tiny 20 minutes uh, can really create a new awareness of how much meeting with the Lord during that first hour of your day, what it means to him. And so I'd recommend those two resources. Wow, that's that's good. You know, you you nailed me this morning. I actually overslept, so I didn't get my quiet time in. So I'm kind of feeling it, and don't really enjoy that. Uh, also, for the listeners, I did want to mention that that second book that was uh, mentioned, "My Heart, Christ's Home," that's available from Audible.com. So if you're interested and you haven't tried Audible, you might want to try listening to that, and you can get it for free by visiting engagingmissions.com/audible if you've never tried their service. Now, Don, we are just about done. I'm wondering, do you have maybe one last piece of advice? advice or guidance that you could give us? And is there a way for people to connect with you? I'd be happy to talk to anybody. Um, I would just say this. Christ conquered Satan and death and the penalty of sin. And um, that being the case, do you seriously think God cannot use your life? He wants to use your life. Uh, You do not need to sit and be a spectator while our wonderful pastors you know, dish out religious goods and services to you. He wants you to be filled with the Spirit and and to use your life, your uniqueness to glorify Him um, on a global scale. I don't know exactly what that means for you, but, but remember um, that Noah was a drunk and Abraham was old and Jonah ran from God and Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep. While they were praying, Lazarus was dead, right? And God used all of them to glorify his name. He wants to use your life, too. Don't believe the lie that he cannot use you to glorify him. He, he will if you let him. Make yourself available. That's good. Well, Don, thank you so much for being here. And for those of you listening, all of this stuff will be linked up in the show notes at engagingmissions.com slash Don Biggie. That's B-U-E-G-E, Don Biggie. Don, thank you. This has been wonderful. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for joining us this week. It was great to have you here and also to connect with Don Biggie as our guest. The show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash Don Biggie. That's where you can find links to the resources we talked about as well as additional information. If you enjoyed the leadership moment, make sure you subscribe at engagingmissions.com slash leadership moment. And next week, come on back because we're going to have Chris Tress with us. He's a pastor in Southern Florida who's done some amazing work in planting a church within a community that reaches out to it, and he has a really interesting perspective on inner city ministry. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Mission Show. You can find more great content like this, along with show notes, by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes Audio editing was provided by Jeff Butterworth of Sound Paradigm Studio. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.